So, hey, here's the deal. When we talk about prayer, there's a million different people that have opinions on what prayer is, right? I did a Google search recently on prayer. I just typed in Google. I typed in Google. I typed in the word prayer to Google, and I got 784 results in less than one second. 784 million, to be clear, results in less than one second. 784 million results in less than one second on prayer because there's a million opinions about what prayer is. Some of those are really good. And they're derived from the Bible. Some of those are not so good, right? You can find good descriptions of prayer as you do this search, right? Things like it's communication with God in response to his holiness, or it's a two-way conversation with God in response to his love. The idea of bowing low and interacting with the God of the universe. Luther, one church father, he says it this way. He describes prayer as climbing up to the heart of God. But the flip side of that is true, too. We find some really confusing understandings of prayer uh, when we go searching sort of the interwebs, if you will, and we Google search, what in the world is prayer? We can come up with things like this, rattling off a list of things that you want so that God might hear you and help you, talking to God so that he'll love you or forgive you, repeating certain words so that God will hear you or be happy with you. One very popular thought you can find is quieting your mind so that you can find your true self, right? There's a lot of confused understandings as we start to look at and listen to what in the world is prayer. I saw one of these and experienced one of these in sort of a different format several years ago. When my oldest son, who's now 11, was like three or four years old, uh, we took him to see Sesame Street Live, right? And if you've been there and you've done that, you understand the pain of that two hours. Uh, with me, but here's one of the things that they do really well, right? They know how to connect with kids and they know how to put things in your mind that you can't get out forever, right? They know how to get these phrases that caught up in your brain. And so we went to this show, Sesame Street Live. We got to see and interact with some of the characters and all that kind of stuff. It was really cool and fun. The show was called Imagine One, Two, Three. And this is the whole premise of the show. They would say this over and over and over again. They would say, one, close your eyes. Two, imagine a place. Three, open your eyes and you'll be there, right? It was this whole magical idea that when you close your eyes and think about something, it can all of a sudden be true. And here's the deal, a lot of us treat prayer that way. We think if we just kind of close our eyes and grit our teeth and say it really loud or think it really hard, then all of a sudden, magically, the things that we want will happen. But that's not the way the Bible teaches us prayer works. You know, there's a lot of bad examples and bad understandings and bad practices as it relates to prayer, both all around us and even some in our own lives. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to jump into looking at specifically what Matthew chapter six has to say about prayer. And here's what I understand is that all of us in the room, maybe many of us in the room, you've heard sermons on prayer, you've read books on prayer, you've heard other people talk about prayer, read articles on prayer, you've talked to friends about prayer. And some of those conversations and some of those messages and some of those books can leave us in this place of great guilt because we feel terrible about not praying enough. We feel terrible about praying for the wrong things. Here's the deal. I think that what that leads to is this terrible legalism that just makes us feel obligated to pray. I don't want you to walk out of here like that today. I want you to walk out of here hearing the beauty and the power of prayer, how God has given us access to himself through the Spirit, through the Son, that God works when we pray and that there is something that happens in us that changes us when we pray because prayer is powerful and it's beautiful. It's not something we just use to try to get things. 
So my hope is that you hear how powerful and beautiful prayer is. So in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 5. And as we do, you're going to hear some words that I'm sure many of you, you've heard before. I'm sure, you know, there's thousands of times you've heard these words, some of these words. Some of you in the room, you've said these words hundreds of times. Right? As we talk about the Lord's Prayer, we're talking about something that some of us have heard and never even knew it was actually in the Bible. We've just heard these words said out loud. So as we read this this morning, I know it's familiar with us, but I want us to look at what Jesus says. He doesn't just say, pray these words. He says, pray in this way. So let's pick up in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. It says this, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. Pray then like this, or pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or sins as we forgive our debtors or those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The three questions I want to try to answer this morning, okay? From these verses, I want us to look at what is prayer? Think about what exactly it is. Think about what it is that we should be praying. What should we pray? And then last, which is really foundational in many ways, why should we pray? So what is prayer, right? Well, we can define it really simply as it is a communication or a conversation with God. It's this interaction that we have with God. God the Father is involved in this. God the Spirit, God the Son, God's word is involved with this, and it's us involved with all of who God is. So it's us interacting with all of who God is. I want you to think for a second about the way Jesus begins this model of teaching us how to pray. He says, our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. He's saying that God the Father ought to be the direction in which we pray. See, a lot of people would think and practice even that we pray in order to get to God. But the way Jesus teaches us to pray is that we actually pray because of God. We pray from him and to him, that he is the direction, he is the starting point for prayer. He's not the the result, he's not the finish line, he's the starting point for our prayer. And he is the goal of our prayer. That it begins with a direction towards God the Father, and not just in the sense that we say his name over and over and over, right? We all have those things that when we pray, we say them over and over and over and over, right? It just doesn't mean that you have to say, Father God, Father God, Father God, Father God. Like, you don't have to get, and you, you can get real dangerous if you say that too many times too fast, by the way, all right? Bad examples in my past. I won't go there, all right? But if you don't have to just say those words over and over and over, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that the direction of your heart and your mind ought to be toward God the Father, that when we pray, it's directed toward God, that our hearts and our minds ought to be pointed and directed toward God, for he is the starting place of our prayer. But the Bible also teaches us that the Spirit, God the Spirit, is involved in our prayer. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 28, it says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What we see here is that the Spirit is at work when we pray. The Spirit is guarding what we pray. He's guarding our prayers. What that means is this, is that the Spirit is in a sense a filter that as our prayers come to the Lord, as we talk to God, the Spirit intercedes. He steps in to make sure what God hears is what God wants. Which means when we don't know what to say and when we pray for the wrong things and we, just, we ask God for things that he doesn't want for us or for others around us, the Spirit is interceding saying what God wants. And the whole purpose of that is it's guarding what we say so that God hears what he wants and then does his work in such a way that it would make us want what he wants. So the Spirit is guarding our prayer. But he's also empowering us to pray as the Lord stirs in us. Maybe even this morning as we talk about prayer, that God draws up in you something, a desire to pray. That is the spirit at work in you. And he's he's empowering you and enabling you to have this conversation, this communication with God. So the spirit is at work as we pray, but the son is at work as we pray also. You know, the Bible teaches us about Jesus. It's a little tricky here, right? Because Jesus is teaching us about prayer. But we understand that he's teaching us to pray in this way. And as he does so, we're reminded through the rest of the New Testament that Jesus stands, right, as, as one who is, who is between us and God, an advocate for us. He's pleading to God on our behalf. He's like a witness on a trial, standing before the judge, God, saying to him, this one's good, he's mine. This one's good, he's mine. The Lord Jesus is working as we pray, as our mediator between us and God, making a way for us by his blood. When he died on the cross, he made a way for us to be able to be in communication with God. But then Jesus goes further and he teaches his disciples. He says this, anything you ask in my name, just ask, ask it in my name and you will receive it. Now, last week we talked a little bit about some of the most misunderstood Bible verses around us. This is another one of those, okay? Because what that doesn't mean, which a lot of people think it means, is that anything you ask in the name of Jesus, you just, you say it and it's yours. That's not what the Bible teaches us. What he's teaching us when Jesus tells the disciples, ask whatever you ask in my name, you'll receive it. He's saying this, whatever you ask under my authority and by my will, you will get. But if you just go in in your own authority and in your own plan and your own will, don't expect to get it. He's saying that through Jesus, it's through Jesus that we're able to communicate with God and we ought to do so under the reign of Jesus's authority. And Jesus' desire for our lives, that that's how we come to God in prayer. Now, if we look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, what you can see is one of the things that Jesus does is he prays according to the word of God. Now, it's directed to God the Father. It's empowered, right, and enabled and guarded by the Spirit. It's through Jesus under his authority, but it's also engaging and according to God's word. Jesus says, hallowed be your name. He's not making that up. This means holy and set apart would the name of God be. 
The name of God is holy and set apart is what Jesus is saying there. He's not making something up or claiming something to be true. What he's doing is he's stating something that's already true according to God's word. Jesus was referring to at this time, right, what we know of the Old Testament, but he also well knew what was going to come in the New Testament, and he was affirming things that we see all through the Bible. When he says, right, forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us, he's not making something new up. He's affirming something that the Bible teaches is true, that God forgives sin, and we who follow him ought to forgive others in the same way that God forgives us. He's praying something that God's word affirms is true. And then he would go on, right? And he would say, you know, to forgive us. He talks about forgiveness. He, he talks about uh, helping us to resist temptation. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how we resist temptation. He says that all temptation is common to man, but God is faithful. And none of it has overcome you because God is faithful and he provides a way out for you to stand up under when you are tempted. Here's what Paul is saying. When you're tempted, you can resist it because God provides a way out. Why then does Jesus say, Help me resist temptation because he's affirming the word of God as he prays. Everything Jesus prays is according to God's word. Now, I want you to think about the last time you prayed. Was God's word informing what you prayed? Was, was God's revelation of himself to us through the Bible informing what you said, what you asked for, what you told God? Jesus teaches us that we ought to pray according to his word. But I think it's also important that we understand that in all of this, we cannot call on his name if we don't know his name. You can't call on the name of God if you don't know God. You can't pray through and under the authority of Jesus if you don't believe that he has authority in your life if you don't trust in his sacrifice on the cross. The Spirit's not interceding for those who don't have the Spirit alive in them. We can't call on his name if we don't know his name. So before we go any further, I think it's an important question to ask because I don't want to give you a bunch of tools for a toolbox of prayer that are useless because you don't have a relationship with the Lord. If you don't know his name, you can't call on his name. So the first and most important question today is, do you know Jesus? Do you understand the weight of your sin and how it separated you from God? Do you understand the need that you have above all other needs in your life is to have your sin paid for by the blood of Jesus? And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your, your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved, and then your prayer journey begins. You can't call on his name if you don't know his name. You know, I think this is something Jesus is calling out of the Pharisees in here, right? When he says to them, don't be like the hypocrites. They just love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people would see them. They, the, the, the Pharisees were praying because they wanted to be seen, they wanted to be heard, and they wanted to earn some kind of approval among people and among God himself. They wanted to prove something significant about themselves to God, and they wanted to be seen, and they wanted to be heard. And he calls this out in them. And here's the thing, I think that ought to probably call this out in us too. I don't, I don't know about you all, but there was a time in my life when I treated prayer like a, like a superstitious, like good luck charm, right? Uh, growing up, um, I played a, sports were sort of my life. And 
Uh, one in particular, basketball became a very primary and prominent thing in my life. And through that journey, uh, I became really superstitious, right? This is what athletes do. The typical athlete is super superstitious, super superstitious. Um, and, and they right, do these same routines over every game. So I had a pregame routine. Part of my pregame routine, you know what it was? It's the Lord's Prayer. And so I would say it on my own every game. And then sometimes our team, the teams that I played with, they would say, we would say it together as well. We'd go out on the floor. So I remember distinctly one game, uh, we were down 10 with like two minutes to go. We came back, tied it up, sent it into overtime. We ended up demolishing this team in overtime. We were supposed to lose this game. It was a big deal. Everybody was going crazy. We get back in the locker room and we're celebrating. And I was like, guys, we got to pray again. And so we like put our hands in and said the Lord's Prayer and then we kind of moved on. Here's the deal, I had no idea the name of God. It was just a good luck charm for me. And so I was thinking, hey, let's do it again because maybe it'll kind of earn us something for the next time. This is just something you do because it's part of your routine. That is not the way that God teaches us prayer. He says this is directed to God. It's through the power of the Spirit working in us, guarding our prayers through the blood of Jesus under his authority and by and according to God's word that we ought to be praying. So then what should we be praying specifically? What, what, what is it that we should be praying about? You know, the Bible teaches us all kinds of things that we should pray for. People, those close, those far away, enemies, government leaders, rulers and authority. It teaches us to pray for forgiveness for uh, con conviction, to pray for the needs of others, to pray for direction, to, to pray for all kinds of different things. And so rather than going through a million different specific things that the Bible teaches us to pray for, what I wanna do this morning is I wanna take a minute and give you four types of ways that God teaches us to pray, that God wants us to be praying. So four different ways that God wants us to be praying. And the first is this, it's confession, confession. You know, confession is nothing more than admitting to God our failure, the things that he wants us to do and say and think that we don't do, or the things that we do and say and think that he doesn't want to be true in our lives. It's confessing, agreeing with him about those things, because here's the deal, none of it surprises him. It's not news to him when we confess it. We're not confessing so he'll know, we're confessing so he'll know that we agree with him that it's wrong. So he calls us to confess. And when we confess, what we're doing is we're saying, God, you're right, I am wrong, change me. When we confess, we're praying for change within us. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So confession is one of the ways that we ought to be praying. Uh, another one is this, intercession. That's just a fancy word to say praying for other people, right? Praying for the needs of other people. Now, this is when we lean into the Lord to, to, to ask him to work or to talk about a circumstance for other people in our lives. And in doing so, what we're saying to God is, I want you to work and I believe that you can intervene. That God, you are the one in charge and therefore you can change their circumstances. God, you are the one in charge and I want your will to be done in their life. And so what we do when we intercede on somebody's behalf is we're praying for change in their life. We're praying that God would change something in them or around them. You know, Jesus modeled this for us in the Lord's Prayer. If you read through the Lord's Prayer, you'll find that all of the personal pronouns that Jesus uses are collective pronouns. Here's what that means. He uses the word we, our, and us. Jesus does not teach us to pray me, 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 me. Jesus teaches us to pray us. 
we, our. That whole thing about like dealing with the plank in your own eye before you deal with the speck in another. Jesus consistently teaches us to pray, not just for our needs, but in addition to our needs, praying for the needs of others. And as we pray for the needs of others, we're praying that God would change something in their life. We're praying for change. But the Bible also teaches us to pray for ourselves. Okay, he says we. He doesn't just say them. He doesn't just say y'all, right? He's saying saying we. He's talking about himself, right? So he teaches us to include ourselves as we pray. The word I want to use for that is petition. It's when we ask God to work in our lives. This may be because of something we need. It may be because of something that we have that we don't want. It could be any number of things that we pray for, but it's when we pray for ourselves. The greatest example of this, right, is from Jesus as well, but it's later in his journey. As Jesus is in the garden and he's praying to God, and he's in the garden, he knows he's about to be arrested. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be taken and put on a cross and murdered to pay for the sin of the world. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on him. And he's in the garden and he's praying and it's very intense. The Bible describes him as sweating drops of blood. And as he prays, he says, God, take this cup from me. He's saying, God, if there's another way, let it not be me. But you know how he prays for himself? He doesn't stop there. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Is that the way you pray for yourself? To say, God, here's what I want. Here's what I think I need. Not my will, but yours be done. God, I don't have a job and I don't know what to do. I really want a job. I think I need a job. Not my will, but yours be done. Even if it's not a job. God, my son and my daughter, they've gone off the rails. I don't know what in the world they're doing. I don't know if I screwed up somewhere along the way. I feel like a failure in this. God, God, fix them. Fix them. But not my will, but yours be done. God, I deeply desire that my friend, my family member, my mom, my dad, my neighbor, my coworker would trust in you. And I'm going to do whatever I can to be a part of what you're doing in their life. But not my will, but yours be done. The way Jesus teaches us to pray for ourselves is in a very low and humble way, not begging for a laundry list of things that we think will make our lives better, but saying to him, this is what I want, this is what I need, but not my will, but yours be done, God. This is how we ought to be praying for ourselves. You know, the the most common way that we pray is through thanksgiving, though. Through thanksgiving. You know, thanking God for the good things in our life. You know, James chapter one says to us, it says that every good and perfect gift comes down from God, who's described as the father of lights, the one who created the world, right? And it says that in him, there's no shadow or variation due to change. He doesn't change. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift and he doesn't change, which means he keeps on giving. And so in light of that, as we thank God, it not uh, not just be for the things that we like, but for every good and perfect gift that he gives us, even if we don't think it's good and perfect, that we ought to be thanking God for the way that he's giving us the things in our lives. When he says, hallowed be be your name, when Jesus prays that and teaches us to pray that way, he's saying, I recognize that your name is holy, that your name is set apart. Thank you, God, for who you are. 
We ought to be people that well up within us this desire to thank God for who he is, for what he's doing, to grow a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for the way that he is working, for, to, to grow in us this desire to be thankful for whatever it is that God gives and know that as we pray for those things that God is changing our hearts to want what God wants for us, to want whatever it is that God gives us, even if it wasn't what we originally wanted. But as we pray, thanking God, we're saying, thank you, God, make me want this. Thank you, God, make me love this. Thank you, God, make me love you. As we pray thanksgiving, we're asking for God to change us. So these are some of the things that, that we ought to be praying. We ought to be confessing our sin. We ought, we ought to be asking God to work in the people around us and in ourselves. And we ought to be um, thanking God for who he is and for what he's doing. So the last question, as I mentioned earlier, I think this is foundational for us, is why should we pray? Why should we pray? Right? There, there's a lot of different ways to, to, to look at this, right? We could say a lot of different things about why we ought to, to pray. Let me just remind you again, what the Pharisees were doing is not why we ought to pray, just to be heard, just to be seen, just to get some sort of credit before man or before God to make him love us or earn his favor. That's not why we pray. What we see in the Bible is that we ought to pray because it changes us and in order just simply to be with God. You know, prayer doesn't change God, it changes us. That's why we pray not my will, but yours be done. Because God doesn't need to change, we do. We pray that God would work in such a way that we would begin to want what he gives. We pray that God would change us in such a way that we desire what he's doing. We pray that God would work in such a way in the lives of others that as he intercedes and intervenes in their situations, our hearts would well, with love, well up with love for Jesus. As we pray, it ought to be changing us, not expecting us to change God in some way. But we also ought to be praying just simply to be with God. You know, I think oftentimes we approach prayer, it's this long laundry list of things, or maybe it's a short list for some of us, and we just want to kind of knock those things out, hit the check boxes, and move on. You know, one of the greatest issues in a lot of relationships, maybe most relationships, is communication. And where there's a communication gap, usually it's, it's telling of many other issues in that relationship. Not because those many other issues created a communication issue. The communication issue created a bunch of other issues. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. If we're not wanting to be with him, if we're not spending time with him, talking to him, what sort of relationship is going to develop? It's hard to grow a relationship without time together. And so as we read his word, we're hearing from him. As we pray, we're talking to him. Those things are integral to a deep and personal and growing relationship with God. And God wants us just to want to be with him. Yeah, several years ago, um, my, two, my two sons, which is my two oldest kids, uh, I took them camping for the first time. And if you're like me and you're terrified about what might happen in the woods when you're with two little kids for the first time, uh, you camp in your backyard, right? 
And so I took my boys camping in the backyard. And so, uh, you know, let them stay up a little bit later than normal, whatever, you know, but for me, it was still a win because I was getting to go to bed earlier. It was awesome. I was pretty excited about it. So we're in the backyard and we're inside the tent and we're laying in our sleeping bags and we're laying on the ground, right? And I'm thinking, oh, this is awesome. This is going to be the best night's sleep I've had in a long time. The noise of the wind, right? It's quiet. It's cool. This is awesome. And all of a sudden the chatter starts, right? The chatter starts. They start, they start talking. Right? And one of my sons goes, hey, dad, what was that noise? Well, I think it was a frog, son. Hey, dad, where's that frog at? Probably, I don't know, somewhere 50 yards away. Hey, hey dad, how many do you think there are? Hey, dad, did you, was that a dog? Hey, dad, where do you think that dog is? Hey, hey dad, do, do you know the neighbors? Hey, dad, are they nice? Hey, hey, dad, are you still awake? Hey, dad, are you still awake? Hey, dad, are you still awake? Right, over and over and over and over. They keep peppering me with all of these questions. And at some point I probably got a little frustrated with them. I'm not gonna lie, a moment of confession, I probably said, shut up, it's time to go to sleep. But, um, <laughs> but here's what I realized eventually. They did not give a rip about how I answered any of those questions. They didn't care about the frogs. They didn't care about the neighbors. They didn't care if I had done this before. They just wanted to know I was still there. They just wanted to know I was still there. They wanted to hear my voice. They wanted to hear me respond to them when they talked. They just wanted the comfort and the safety and the peace and the hope of knowing that they weren't alone, that their dad was with them, that with him, they were safe. With him, there was peace. They just wanted to know I was there. When's the last time you went before God to pray just to enjoy his presence? Just to find rest and comfort in knowing he was there. And I think sometimes we rush into it and rush out of it in such a way that and there's no changing happening in us and there's no desire for his presence. You know, the Bible tells us that in his presence is fullness of joy. People, we need joy in our lives. The Bible tells us that the nearer we are to him, the greater the good for us. His nearness is good for us. Friends, we need to be near to God. And so as you pray, are you directing it to God the Father? Or are you praying, knowing that the Spirit's gonna fix it if you mess it up, so you're praying with confidence? Are you praying, understanding that the authority of Jesus, he's above all things and in him all things hold together and it's through his blood that you have access to God? Are you praying according to the word of God? Are you praying with confidence as you confess and pray for the needs of others and yourself and you thank God for the great and good gifts that he's put in your life? As you pray, are you doing it in order that you might be changed by him, by his presence? You know, this morning, I think what would be incredibly important for us to do is not just walk out of here thinking, all right, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna start praying. But I want us to have a moment now, today, in this space to pray. You know, the busyness of life is crazy. I mentioned last week, right? We have VBS all day, every day. My family, we had six baseball games last week. A crazy week. I go out of town this afternoon for the next three days. Life is busy. 
When you feel compelled to do something for the Lord or because of the Lord, do it. And so this morning, I want us to pause in this room and pray. In just a bit, we're gonna, we're gonna enjoy and celebrate communion together. In 1 Corinthians 11, when, when Paul introduces the idea, describes to us the idea. He didn't introduce it. Jesus did. But, but when Paul describes to us the idea of, of the Lord's Supper, he does so in such a way where he says that you should not take it in an unworthy manner, that you should examine yourself. That context, he's talking about broken relationship. Is there broken fellowship among two believers? You need to deal with that and resolve it before you come and take the Lord's Supper. But in the general context, what he's saying is that we all ought to examine ourselves in our own lives before we enjoy communion together. And so here's what we're going to do. For the next three, four minutes, we're going to pray. We're going to pray together. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to confess before the Lord, you and the Lord. That's it. You're going to confess sin. We're going to intercede. We're going to pray for the needs of others in our lives. We're going to ask the Lord to work in our own lives. And we're going to thank God for the good gifts that he's given us. I want to come back, though, and remind you before we do that, that if you don't know his name, Listen, friends, you can't call on his name if you don't know it. And so if that's you in the room and you would say, man, I don't, I, I don't, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never trusted that his death on the cross was necessary and had to pay for my sin. I was separated from God. And my only hope is to trust and believe that Jesus has died on the cross and risen from the grave. If that's you, here's what I would ask you to do. In these moments, to just consider, is this true? Do I believe it's real? And if so, what do I need to do? Is this true? Do I believe it's real? And if so, what do I need to do? So we're going to enter in now to a time of just praying together. And I'll lead you through. We'll confess, pray for the needs of others, pray for the needs of ourselves, and then thank God together. Okay? God, listen, 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 guys. The Lord is good, and he wants you to enjoy his presence. In this moment, there's a lot of other places to think about being. Let's just sit and enjoy his presence. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God who loves his people, loves his children, and who gives us everything that we need. And so this morning, Father, I pray that as we sit in this moment, that you would lead us to be honest with you to cry out to you and to expect you, Father, to work. So would you change us as we pray? Would you move in us as we pray? And Father, I pray for those in the room that can't have a conversation with you because they don't know you. God, would you stir in them as they ask, is this true? I believe this. What do I need to do with it? You, God, would you answer them? Would you answer them, God? So, Father, now we turn and we confess. We admit and we agree that we are messed up, that we fail to obey and follow you.
Father, none of us live in isolation. Even by sitting in this room, we show that this morning. And so, Father, we know that there's needs in the lives of the people around us. So, Lord, would you give us a heart to bring those needs to you, to serve others by praying for them? God, would we pray for change? But would we trust your will, Father? So now, Lord, we pray for the needs of those around us. Father, one around us that many of us in this room know and know well is Pat, our pastor, Amy, his wife, and I pray for them now. In the midst of this sabbatical, 25 years of going nonstop, Lord, 12 weeks is just a drop in the bucket, but I pray that you would refresh him, that you would renew him, that you would restore the joy of life unto him to the fullest extent. Would you do the same in Amy and his family? Would you use this season, Father, as a milestone, a marker in their journey with you as they enjoy and rest in your presence and grow in love for their Savior? Father, we turn our attention now even to ourselves, not because we are all we care about. May it not be true of us but because you've called us to pray for the needs in our own lives. And I pray, Lord, that as we do, that we would follow the example of Jesus and that we would say, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I need, not my will, but yours be done. So open-handed, Father, would we pray before you for the needs in our own lives. God, it, it could take years. God, it could take years to tell you of all the things that we're thankful for. There, as one hymn writer said, there's not enough water in the ocean as if it were ink that we could dip our quill, our writing device over and over and over and over into it to write of all of your goodness. There's just not person in the world that could describe the full extent of your greatness. But today we just want to say thank you. And there's so many reasons. But in this moment, God, would you stir our hearts for those reasons in our lives? Stir our hearts as we see the extent of your love on the cross, as we see the extent of your work through Jesus, as we see the personalization of that in our own lives and our families and our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers. God, would you stir up gratitude in us as we thank you?